Welcome from my side. Good to be together. I see some of you, you know, it depends on the week. Sometimes people move towards the sun and sometimes it's the other way around. Um, but uh, good to be together. We continue in our series. In fact, um, just because of the way the term has worked and uh, the fact that I can't really count. Today we have to squeeze two sermons into one. So I'm going to talk a lot quicker. We're going to talk about mission and community. Um, I want to talk about hospitality and it's going to cut both ways. Hospitality that goes both ways. Um, and Jesus has this vision of the way in which community is reached and community is formed. Um, you see, Jesus does not just have a picture of reaching one person. Of course, he cares for every individual person. But he knows that most of the people in the world are actually living in community. So what we're going to see today is not just how we reach one, but how we reach into many. So we're not just a missional community, but we want to be on mission into uh, social patterns and community. And when we when we lose sight of that, it gets a little difficult. So we're going to start at Luke chapter 10 and verse 1, and then I'm going to pick up a few verses from Matthew chapter 10 as well. So Jesus, again, has been preaching, teaching. He's been doing the show and tell of the kingdom. So he's been healing people. He's been uh, kind of demonstrating this inclusivity. He's been going into homes. He's been changing lives. And he's been teaching at the same time. It's sort of like explaining to people something of what the, the show part, the demonstration of the kingdom, actually means in, in the teaching. And sometimes he teaches and then he shows them. Sometimes he shows them, then he teaches. But there's always this proclamation and demonstration of the kingdom. So after this, the Lord appointed 72 others. Now in Luke's gospel and in Matthew's gospel, we know he also sent out the twelve. We think the 12 had this job, but here it is. Jesus now sends out 72 others, two by two, ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. We've looked at this in Matthew. Go, I am sending you out. That just sounds amazing, empowering, like lambs among wolves. That sounds dangerous. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals. That sounds irresponsible. And do not greet anyone on the road. That just sounds rude. Heck, what the heck? I thought he was like the master of reaching new communities. Why can't you greet someone on the road? Turn to the person next to you, not your husband or your wife, and, tell, and just answer the question. Why are we not allowed to greet someone on the road? What, do you, what on earth is going on here? <laughs> Anyone? No. But then when you enter a house, now that I've got you thinking, like, I, I mean, this doesn't sound like good, it's like missional instruction, does it? When you enter a... What was that? I missed that. <laughs> because of COVID, yeah. Okay. When you enter a house, say, Shalom to this house. Peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace begins to rest on them. Isn't that great? Like peace just rests 
on them. If not, it'll return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you. Wow, this is talking to Jews and... Oh. For the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. So when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you, heal those who are there and uh, who are ill, and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. It's at hand. And then Matthew 10, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago. Freely you have received, freely give, verse 8b, then verse 9. I want to see some of the parallels and maybe it'll help us a bit. Do not get any gold or silver or copper or take it with you in your belts. No bag for the journey, no extra shirt or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. So similar instructions he gave to the 12 as he gives to the 72. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person. In Luke he called it a person of peace. Stay at their house until you leave. When you enter their home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. So he has this a little bit more agency here. You recognize this home and you kind of go, okay, so my shalom is coming to you. You have some agency there. If not, let your peace return to you. So, there's a significance about moving from the 12 to the 72. Jesus is shifting the range and the reach of the mission. And it will keep getting more. Community is about many becoming one. Mission is about one becoming many. As, in a sense, it starts with Jesus and it just keeps moving out. And, and what I, you know, every follower of Jesus then needs a new way of thinking about themselves in terms of this. We begin to see ourselves as missionaries to the communities in which we live and move and have our being. In other words, thinking of ourselves differently becomes a really important way. You see, as Jesus explains, we've got a really awesome gospel to give away in really awesome ways. And so we have the show and tell of the kingdom that was in Jesus' life is now meant to be in our life. So as we go, we heal the sick, drive out demons, cleanse the lepers, etc., etc. And what is happening is God's goodness and His mercy is now happening through us on the earth. These readings talk about the relational chemistry that either ignites mission or quenches it. So firstly, let's talk about Jesus says, I'm sending you out as lambs to the wolves, like lambs to the slaughter. Matthew 10, he then says, therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Now, seriously, what kind of good shepherd sends out his little lambs to go and hang out among the wolves? It does just sound a little weird, doesn't it? Jesus is not wanting to see us harmed. But if we're going to follow the way of the kingdom and we follow the way of love, this is what it will feel like. Because you won't have your normal defenses and you won't have your normal ways of having power over people. See, the world wants to operate in ways in which they find a hook on your life, they get to control you, they get to direct you, they get to exploit you. Um, and if so be it, um, they may even get to destroy you. Sometimes they want to, sometimes they don't. But normally they don't care. It's just we're all in it for ourselves. 
And if you're going to go in and you're going to be afraid of what people might do in taking advantage of you, you're going to be a wolf among the wolves. But if you're going to go and love like Jesus loves, you've actually got to lower your defenses to let people into your life. So much missional opportunity has been lost because we've resisted the idea of going in meek and we've tried to stay, as it were, protected and strong. I'm not saying weak, there's tremendous power. But we often like to think of ourselves as lions among the wolves, you know. <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll kind of rule the gospel and people must just tremble and the wolves must just become good guys. And, you know, a little bit like Simba and the Lion King and the hyenas and everything like that. We don't want to be a lamb. That just seems a little risky. One of the things you're going to have to have to believe is that this kingdom is contagious. In other words, literally when you carry goodness and love and mercy into the space that people are, you're going to be seriously tempted to believe that the negativity, the anger, the control and the stuff that just defines people's lives out there is more powerful than the goodness. And you're going to have to show them that you truly believe for yourself that actually being good, truly good, is better. And so you end up having to trust in the presence of Jesus and you, a little bit like metal passing through a furnace, you know, if you get some old rusted metal and it goes into the furnace, all the flaky stuff just disappears and the metal is once again refined. But the bottom line is don't become a wolf in order to reach the wolves. Stay a lamb. Stay like Jesus. Now, I mean, these guys were preaching, these guys were courageous, they were unafraid, but nevertheless, they were going to overcome evil with good, hate with love, chaos with shalom and peace, and curses with blessing. A classic story in the Bible is what happens when Stephen is literally martyred. Now, he was about as courageous a lamb as you can get. Now, the rest of these two chapters in Matthew 10 and Luke 10, Jesus talks a lot about persecution opposition and people not liking what you are doing. Stephen found that out in Acts chapter 7 firsthand. But even as he is dying, he's being stoned, he prays a prayer, Father, forgive them. Don't count the sin against them. I believe the Apostle, who was then, uh, the Apostle Paul, who was then just a uh, uh, Pharisee called Saul, holding the, the cloaks of the people who were actually murdering Stephen. Something planted in him. When he was explaining the gospel years later, he used Stephen's words that God is reconciling people to himself, not counting their sins against them. Like years later, he would remember almost word for word the prayer of the man he persecuted. Real discipleship involves taking real risks with real people, therefore, Matthew 10, be as shrewd as snakes <laughs> and as innocent as doves. You see, what you're doing when you're going in like this is that you're messing with people's minds. Like they're so used to the whole power narrative that you actually, you're messing with, you're shrewd as snakes, you like, you're, you're subverting, they think they know how the world works and you're just putting a completely different way of operating in front of them. 
you're questioning their assumptions. And so you're letting grace and truth mess with their minds. Number one, go like lambs among the wolves. Number two, don't greet people on the road. Let's just take that one quickly. I'm not going to spend too much time on the person's sandals. I've spoken to you about it. Unless you know how to do ministry without money, you'll never do it with money. You literally don't need resources to carry the kingdom of Jesus. Until you know how to do ministry without a cent to your name, you'll never manage to do ministry with all the riches in the world because you're not giving away stuff. And uh, yeah, those of us in the West have got a bit of learning to do there. Um, but, I mean, do not greet anyone on the road. The word for greeting is to embrace someone, to pull them close to you, to literally use your arms. So COVID is quite uh, appropriate there, John. You bring the person very close to you. It's not verbal, but in the custom of the day, it was actually physical. It was very relational, and they would kiss on the cheek, and they would like literally get close. So do not greet. It's not our handshake over there or you know, fist pump or elbow or whatever it is. It's in that Middle Eastern way of pulling the person to you and cheek to cheek, the kiss of greeting. Now, the travel practice on the day, on the road, was that to travel safely, you would try and greet as many fellow travelers as you could, and you would pull them towards you, and then you would travel in a caravan. You would travel as a group. Why? Because, well, you know, the taxi operators were... No, the... The, the roads were dangerous. And so moving as a larger group was always safer. And But what would happen is most towns, as you approach the towns, they would see this large group coming, and it would be quite intimidating, but they needed your business and your trade, and so they had what was called a caravanassery, a caravanassery a place where the caravans would go park, and those people would stay there. They wouldn't mingle with the town. And then the townspeople would come and they would trade, but you'd have your ready-made circle intact when you arrived in their town. And your circles didn't mix. You just had a little bit of commercial interchange. You did not enter their society. You had a space in which you were contained. Now, Jesus is saying, if you embrace a whole lot of fellow Christian travelers in your mission to the world, you will go into the world without any need of relational connection with the people you're trying to reach and love. It's interesting, Jesus sent the disciples to fetch food in John chapter 4 so that he could be alone as he approached the Samaritan town. If all of them had arrived, that woman wouldn't have come near him. Jesus says, don't arrive in mission relationally self-contained. You need to find ways of opening up your social sphere. Make sure you need people. Arrive vulnerable. You see, if you arrive and you're just two, you're going to need a place to stay. And you're going to need food to eat. And you're not trading. You're literally arriving. And you're becoming dependent on the very people that you want to reach. 
How often have we tried to do mission in which all our ducks are in a row and all our needs are met? And we're trying to you know, snatch someone from the town, as it were. So we've, there's our caravanassery. And then we run out and kidnap someone in the town and try and drag them into our caravanassery called the church. Jesus says, if you're going to reach people, you've got to just start thinking differently about how you do community. So a question is, am I relationally like sealed in a bubble, whether it's Christian or not? Or is there room for me to enter the lives of other people? And how can I do that? Number three, find a person of peace. So when you enter a house, say, peace be there. If someone who promotes peace, or other translations, if there's a person of peace there, your peace rests on them. If not, it returns to you. The interesting thing about a person of peace is that they are definitely from the other culture. They are not yet following Jesus or whatever, but they are open and they're willing to have you in their life and in their home. And they're not going to other you and treat you like an alien. So you are not throwing pearls before swine. They are a non-threatening point of contact as you go into a realm that's very different to yours. And often we find, and as you do a study of the Gospels, that these persons of peace are known. They have a reputation. Sometimes their reputation is very good, like the centurion. People were like, Jesus, you need to help this guy. He's amazing. Other times their reputation is pretty ropey, like the, the Samaritan woman at the well. You know, when, G, when she walked into the town and said uh, to the town, he told me everything I ever did, all the men got very worried. <laughs> Probably not, actually, if you understand the backstory, but... The, the reality of it is that, you know, Zacchaeus had a lousy reputation. Matthew, he was a tax collector. I mean, he had his own little, you know, circle of buddies. But, and they came to meet Jesus. But Matthew became the point of contact for a Matthew party. So a crucial, crucial missional step. Don't kidnap the person of peace and drag them into your circle. So this is what I think Jackie and Annie and Lloyd are praying about, is how do we create something that's community that doesn't just snatch someone and drag them out of their world? How can we start doing community in a way where we're injecting Jesus into theirs? And then step four, he says, stay there in their world. Stay there eating, drinking, whatever they give you. Don't move around from house to house, etc. So now you're trying to enter their world instead of impose yours. And of course, missionaries have to go and learn language and culture and who the role players are and how are decisions made and what's culturally appropriate, who carries influence. I mean, one of the key questions is how do they celebrate? Different cultures celebrate differently. Uh, how do they handle conflict, sorrow and death? How do they show love? How do they handle uh, forgiveness and reconciliation. The person of peace will help you translate the gospel. They know all the rules of the culture. You're clueless. And once you are getting this right, 
that you'll find that the person of peace is actually reaching more people than you are. They've become the entry point for the kingdom in that town. And so often when Paul and Barnabas are traveling and people come to faith, when they come back later, they look for the people who have become the persons of peace for the gospel in that town and they make them the leaders of the church. You see, one of the biggest things to learn how to do is to carry the grace of the kingdom and not the baggage of subculture. And as Christians, we develop subculture so quickly. How do we translate this into a world? And so now I'm going to, that's in a sense, one sermon, and I don't know how fast I took, but I thought that's very quick. Here's the next one, which is now, doing this purely because we're running out of uh, term. (laughs) Now, when all those things have been put in place, and I know Jesus said, listen, you eat what they give you. But there's something else that happens. You get to put goodness and mercy on the menu. I mean, you eat their physical food. It's a fascinating study, and we don't have time for it this morning, to see how Jesus always changed the hospitality dynamics when he was part of a meal. Like Luke's gospel is like masterful at giving you the social chemistry that happened whenever Jesus was part of a meal. And whether he was at a Pharisee's house and a woman was crying at his feet, uh, or whether he was going into Zacchaeus' house and Zacchaeus' world was being changed, or whether he's breaking the bread for the guys who'd been walking on the Emmaus Road, Jesus became the host again and again and again. He was in their home, yet he became the host. He ate their food Yet he determined what people took away from the meal. He accepted hospitality or the lack thereof, like Simon the Pharisee's house, and yet defined every encounter by what he was carrying. So it's one thing to go in, it's another thing, and it's one thing to eat their food menu, it's another thing to know how to change the menu of what's actually on offer in that space. So... Going super quickly, I'm going to take us to Psalm 23. We prayed into it on the prayer meeting on Thursday morning, and um, and Hillary read it earlier. You prepare, verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. David recognizes that God loves to be the host. He says, you anoint my head with oil. Now, that was a function of the host. For example, when Jesus went to the Simon, Simon the Pharisee's house, One of the things, Jesus knew that he was not really welcome, that the host was not really his host, was that they didn't wash his feet and they did not anoint his head with oil. You see, when you anoint someone's head, you're actually saying to them in that context, this isn't the um, commissioning for kingship or priesthood or whatever. In that context, you're saying, you're in my home, I provide for you, I protect you, I cover you. So that's what the anointing meant. It wasn't just medicine or something like that. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, mission in one sense is not just going into their world, and sitting at their table, but it's then inviting people to come and sit at God's table. And even when, like David, we have enemies all around, God wants us to sit at the table of his abundant provision. 
He is our host sharing his table with us. I'm glad we don't have... Uh, I, need, I, I need a victim, I mean a volunteer this morning. I've got a few things I need to do quickly. Anyone, you need to bring a chair and you're going to come and sit with me at the table. Yeah, there we go. Just come on this side. So Julia is coming to the Lord's table. And so there are some millionaire shortbreads. There we go. You can help yourself. And there's some good fruit. <laughs> and, uh, and, and then what we have is because it's the Lord's table and he says, I'm your host. Can I put a little bit of oil on your head? I won't anoint as in Psalm 133, which uh, sort of like they just empty all the oil that's there. Uh, I will just do it like that. There you go. But there's a symbolism. There's a symbolism. That in receiving this person and putting oil on their head, and it was fragranced oil, so that even if you'd been traveling and you were still like a little bit away, you'd get your hands washed, your feet washed, and uh, there'd be someone to take care of you, and then the host himself would put oil on your head. The host would say, you're under my covering. You're in my place. So God is saying to Julia as she comes to his table, that he is the host, and that you sit with him. Now, the interesting thing is you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So I want you to look around and realize that it's not people that he's talking about. Now, I know David had some real physical, you know, totally scary people like Saul um, and several others as well. But they are not allowed to come to this table. They're present. So, let's see. They're, they're over there somewhere, just behind the white car. Or they're just in front of it. And, and, and who is it? But God welcomes, provides, cares, honors. Now, the enemies represent the darkness that want to accuse or discourage or destroy. They want to take control and rob you. Now, the Lord looks at the enemies and he knows what he needs. Now, again, being a Baptist church, I couldn't be true to culture. What would I have if I was being true to culture? I'm so sorry, Julia. There you go. There's a glass of water. I'd like you to have some water. And... Uh, and then the Lord begins to provide for you. Now, he knows that there's enemies that actually want you not to have enough, that, that want you to do without. So what God does is he looks over to the enemies and he sees you've had a little bit to drink. Now, you might need to hold it. Have you had enough? Are you sure you're not thirsty? Just mind your legs. And then God says, have some more. And then God says, are you sure you don't want some more? Yeah. Can you handle more? You see, how do you make a cup overflow? 
You keep pouring even when the person can't handle it. When they can't have any more. Remember, this is not just water. And the person's thinking, I can't handle all this water. This is getting a bit much. And the enemy standing there and saying, how can he be so wasteful? How dare he be so... Have some more. And just when you think God is running out, he's the God... Thank you. You've been amazing. You can go offer a short bread to someone if you want to. You see, the Lord knows that there's an enemy who wants to accuse, who wants to oppose, who wants to control, destroy. The enemy desperately wants to stop us receiving from God. And he also wants to stop those for whom God is changing the menu from receiving from God. And as it were, when you come to God's encampment, the picture for David would have been a Middle Eastern, almost like Bedouin traveling environment, and you travel in and there's enemies all around. And the enemies have to stand at the edge of the encampment. They are powerless to get to you at the Lord's table. And he knows they want to stop you. He knows they've been trying to catch you while you've been traveling. And he says to you, come, sit down. And he anoints you and he says, you're under my covering. And then he begins to provide for you and provide for you. And he says, have some more. Have some more. You see, God wants to give you himself. The interesting thing that David says is, surely goodness and mercy will follow me. You see, the image is that when your cup is overflowing, and this cup is overflowing, and this cup is overflowing, now I can't keep pouring at the same time I was doing that, but if I had to start walking, and this was spilling, and this was spilling, and this was spilling, I would carry a trail of goodness and mercy. The first thing I must do is drink it myself, but I will never exhaust the goodness of God. I will never exhaust the mercy of God. One or two key thoughts. First one, I'm going to subvert your thinking. What is goodness? The definition of goodness in our world today is someone who doesn't judge someone else. It's the highest virtue in our world is to allow people to do whatever they want. You give people freedom. That has become goodness and it's become very bad in our world as you try and reach people, show people the way, to possibly suggest that what they're living as or doing might be wrong. The goodness of God is not being nice and tolerant. The goodness of God cons gives you the grace to discern right and wrong. If goodness is following you, it's because you've become a discerning person. If goodness is overflowing, it's because you know that some things cannot continue without causing harm. 
See, the goodness of God that wants to overflow out of your life is rooted deeply in the nature of God's holiness and truth. And when I look at God's holiness, I realize I fall short, let alone anyone else. But how does that sentence go? Surely, goodness and... Now do you see how remarkable that couplet is? You see, when my goodness falls short, God says, I will exchange my goodness for yours. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, God made him who had no sin to become sin. He gives me, sorry, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. God is willing in his mercy to give me his goodness. Because in his mercy, God was willing to accept my sin. On the cross, he became sin. God wants to keep pouring the things you think you don't deserve. God wants to keep giving through you to others the things they think they don't deserve. And God is pouring in the presence of the darkness that wants to destroy you, control you, accuse you, and tell you you are disqualified. God wants to say over you with a big smile, have some more. And you go, I'm already full. Have some more. But it's wine. Have some more. And your cup overflows. You see, if I keep pouring, how how do you make a cup overflow? You keep pouring into the cup until what's inside the cup is covering and overflowing from the cup. God wants to give himself to you, but out of the overflow, he's going to give himself through you in mission to the world. You see, when God is wasteful like that, there's a lot of water being wasted. When God is wasteful like that, it's because God has something called fearless hospitality. Fearless hospitality. God is never afraid that what he provides will ever run out. Jesus demonstrated that, as it were, physically at the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000, and at manna coming. God's hospitality is fearless. He's never afraid that goodness and mercy will run out. And so this morning we come acknowledging the God who calls us into mission. His goodness, His mercy, His opportunity. I'm going to ask the worship team if they'll just come and join me. We want to we want to spend a bit of time this morning responding to that. So let's pray together. When you go, stay a lamb. When you go, 
Don't be self-sufficient. Open yourself to those who need Jesus. When you go, enter their world. Hear their cry. Listen to their hearts. But when you go, change the menu to goodness, real goodness, not just niceness, not just tolerance, not indifference, but deep, radiant goodness. Like the goodness that flowed through Jesus. Made people whole and included them because it was goodness and mercy. Mercy. maybe this morning you need to picture yourself in Julia's place but knowing that it's not a pastor with corny jokes but actually Jesus himself who's willing to stand over you and anoint you and say am your host I am your protector I am your provider and you are under my covering and I put my fragrance on you now I want you to drink until you can drink no more I want you to drink from me I want you to drink of me I want you to have my heart my spirit I want to put my goodness in you so that it overflows wherever you go won't you ask him Jesus won't you pour goodness and mercy into me until I overflow Lord not just enough pour too much too much more Lord more Lord you need to know the heart of your father he's saying have some more have some more have some more this is who he is this is what he's like have some more but you're thinking, Lord, it's messy. It's all over the place. Somebody should stop pouring. He says, have some more. Yeah, is my goodness. Yeah, is my grace. Until we overflow. Until we overflow. Have some more. And when you overflow, have some more. That is the heart of your Father God. Amen. Amen.